Good morning, beloved Orangewood. What another beautiful morning, a little bit of crisp morning that God has given us to gather in his name and to sing his praises and to remind us how profoundly well he loves us. You know, last week, uh, kind of in the same tenor of the Apostle Paul, who would say, I loved you enough to not only give you the gospel of my very life, I shared with you a, a true story, a little bit of an embarrassing story that uh, in sixth grade, um, trying to impress my girlfriend in sixth grade, that I sometimes look like Rocky Balboa. Um, and much to my chagrin, 15 of my family pictures in my office are now Rocky Balboa. My wife's wedding picture is Adrian. I mean, it was, it, it's so good. My office is here. If you want to see, it's really, really well done. It's by one of our former employees, Marie Cardinelli, that, uh, that did that. But, uh, you know, hats off. So be careful of what you share to this congregation, apparently. Well, if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the Old Testament, we're going to begin in 1 Kings. There's a couple of passages in the uh, book of Kings we're going to look at. We're going to look at a passage in Ezra. If you don't have your Bible or if you don't want to flip around, it'll be listed for you in the bulletin as well. We have a sermon series, this Advent, series, uh, this Advent season, called Dwell. It's an incredible reality that God, the God who made you, the God who made all things, the true and living God, longs and desires to dwell with his people. And really, that's the story of the Bible is how he longs to dwell with us. And today we're going to look at specifically uh, God dwelling with his people uh, in the temple and what that meant for Christmas and what that meant for us. Okay, join me. I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. Okay, that's enough. Um, Christmas really does, it brings out a longing for all of us to be with those we love, right? I mean, Christmas time of all times of the year kind of has that sentimental feel of, man, I, I want to be home. I want to be a place where I'm known. I want to be a place where I'm comfortable. I want to be in a place where I am loved and with loved ones. And along the same vein, we sing this song as well. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. I mean, we're basically saying not just that we could be together, but God, come and be with us. It's our desire to, to dwell with the God who made us. That's, he made us in his image and he made us for himself. And so in every one of us, whether we acknowledge him or not, there's a longing to be known and loved by, by this God. And Christmas time is, is a singing of God, Emmanuel, God with us. Come and join us. Come, God, be with those you love. Come, God, be with those who love you. The story of the Bible is this progressive story of God dwelling with his people. The God who would dwell with his people, it bookends the whole story of the Bible. It begins in paradise, that God made us for himself, and, and we hung out with him, and we, we walk with him in the cool of the evening. It begins so well, and it ends even better. It ends in a new heaven, a new earth, where forever and ever God will dwell with his people. But the majority of the Bible story, really from Genesis chapter 3, all the way through Revelation chapter 19 till we get to the, to the very end almost. We, it's how God himself pursues us. 
God himself, holy God, knowing us, pursues us so that he can have a relationship with us and that we could have a relationship with him. Ultimately, so God could dwell with his people. I mean, the story of the Bible is basically this, how God moves heaven and earth or unites heaven and earth so that God and man can dwell together. So God could be home for Christmas. So he could be with his family. Well, God dwells with his people and it's, it's, uh, it kind of progressively goes. It goes from a garden, we messed it up, but he pursues after us. And it says in scripture that he doesn't abhor our brokenness. It's incredible, he's holy, but he doesn't despise our condition. As a matter of fact, the story of the Bible unfolds and as God's people found themselves in the wilderness and in tents, God said, make me a tent too. I wanna be with them. I wanna be identified with them. I wanted to hang with them. It's just incredible. I want to come into their condition. And then when God's people move to the promised land, the land of promise, they finally home. They've finally got there. God said, build a temple for me because I want to have my name there too. I want to dwell with my people. And as the story unfolds, it gets a little bit better and a little bit better and there's a little bit more stability to it. But interesting as you read, especially through the Old Testament, it always leaves you longing for more. You're always thinking, ah, there's got to be more. This, this isn't quite it. And so throughout time, God's people really have been singing. And we too have been singing, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, come, come more clearly, uh, come more uh, dearly, if you will, come more in person than you have. Well, the high watermark for God being with his people in the Old Testament is really this temple. It's a place in the promised land that God says that he is going to uniquely dwell. It's like, it's like the apex of God's dwelling with his people in that promised land. And it's really interesting because if you read the language of the prayers of dedication, when God is, is going to come and dwell there, there's even there this longing. There's longing for more. It's kind of odd. At the dedication of the temple, there's a foreshadowing that it's not going to last. It's going to be destroyed. I mean, who dedicates a place and says, well, when the place is destroyed, come back. I mean, there is this reality that it wasn't enough. It's kind of like catching lightning in a bottle. Can they really dwell with God? Well, the story of the Bible has a happy ending. And Christmas is the, uh, is the exclamation point that, hey, we're heading to a happy ending. It's the turning point. We have happiness now, but the ending isn't here. There's more to come. So let's look at God's word. Again, we're focusing in on this temple and God's promise to dwell with his people. We're going to start in chapter six, one verse, verse there in 13, and then skip to eight and nine in Ezra three. But let's hear the word of the Lord. As a matter of fact, yesterday I was at the Andrew Peterson concert. Um, I think I've made every show, his Christmas show, that's either was here or at another church, a church we planted. And at the end of the reading the word, uh, the 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 reader said, the word of the Lord. And the people responded. Anybody know? Thanks be to God. And I, it's a tradition I wish I had woven into the church early on because there's something about hearing God's word. This is the word of the Lord. So afterwards, I'm going to say the word of the Lord when I'm all done. And you guys can say, okay, fantastic. Hear the word of the Lord. Verse 13 in chapter six. God says, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people, Israel. Turning to chapter eight, 
Picking up in verse 27. God promises to dwell with them. And listen to this next verse in 27. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built, Solomon would say. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God. Listen to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day. That your eyes may be open night and day towards this house. The place of which you have said, my name shall be there. That you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. And listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And listen in heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. I'm going to turn to chapter 9 now. Verses 1 through 10. As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David, your father walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according doing according to all that I've commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules. Then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David, your father saying, you shall not lack a man in the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you and your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but you go and serve other gods and worship then, Then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and the house that I have consecrated for my name. I will cast out of my sight and Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss. And they will say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the, law, the Lord has brought this, uh, all this disaster on them. And lastly, this is in Ezra, the, pro, uh, the book of Ezra that's gonna tell us about the rebuilding of the temple when the first temple was destroyed and those words came true. Ezra 3, verses 10 through 13. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests and their vestments came forward with trumpets and the Levites and the sons of Asaph with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the direction of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsibly, responsibly praising and giving thanks to God for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all of the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and the head of father's house 
old men who had, who had seen the first house wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of the house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of joyful shout from the sound of people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have told us your story and how you long to dwell with us. And Father, in this room, we find those who are living their life right now with joyous proclamation that things are good and that the Lord has come. And in this room, we also have those who, who cry out with weeps of brokenness and anguish because the world is in a messed up condition. Oh, Father God, would you come and would you join your people again? You've promised to dwell with us. You've promised where two or more are gathered in your name that there you will be. So God, come and, and speak like only you can through a broken sinner like me. Come and give us ears to hear your voice, minds to understand your word, hearts to embrace your truth and your love, and feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name. God, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain this incredible good news of, of your son Jesus and his gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior Jesus? And it's in his holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along with me in your bulletin, you'll find an outline and the first thing we're going to see is this, at this apex in the Old Testament, this high watermark that, that God is, is with his people in the promised land, is that it's a nominal dwelling. It's a nominal dwelling. It says in uh, 1 Kings 8, 27 through 30. I mean, the temple really was the most unique place in all of the earth. It was cr- incredibly unique, a place where God would dwell with his people in the promised land. But God promised to be with his people in the promised land. It was really name only. I mean, can God really dwell on earth? It says, can even the highest heavens contain God? So God said this, he goes, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this unique, beautiful, special place. And I'm going to put my name there. And my, my name is going to be there. And I'm going to keep my ears open. It's interesting. It says night and day instead of day and night. I'm going to keep my, my eyes open. I'm going to pay attention but it even says in 1 Kings, in that, that passage in chapter 8, it says, well, God, your dwelling place is in heaven. I mean, you're there, but there's something special here. There's something special going on. It's, your name is here. There's a, there's a uniqueness of your presence and the, the holy of holies and, and all these things. But it really wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. The, the God, they, they hung for more. I mean, okay, God, thanks for your name and, and thanks for a, a, a unique presence. And, and hit pause. By the way, it kind of gave them a false assurance too. They felt like if, if God had a foothold in the promised land, it's like the, the beachhead was one. If God was there, no bad thing's going to happen to him. We, we got God in the temple. We, we have it. God is with us. And so nothing bad is going to come. And, and yet there was still this, this longing, but can there be more? It wasn't enough. You see, Christmas is the celebration 
that God didn't just send his name. That God didn't just come in, in, a, in a kind of cool, special way. That, that God showed up in flesh. That he tabernacled with us. And that's, that's next week's message, that Jesus tabernacles with us. But that's the celebration of, of Christmas, that Emmanuel, God truly is with us. The one who made the world. The one who sustains the world. This eternal God puts on flesh. And he hangs with God's people. You see, the beautiful thing of the story of the Bible is this. God dwelled with us so that we could dwell forever with God. It's incredible. This whole theme of the temple is very important. The place where God uniquely dwells and that, that he's going to come in flesh. And then when he comes, he's going to say, basically, now you and I, we're the temple. We are, we are the place. It's no longer a physical location. It's now people. Scripture says living stones. We are the place that, that God uniquely dwells. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, believers, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is inside of us. And where God's temple is, he calls us his children. And I love this fact. It's not by name only. This is what we are. Okay, so get, get, get this. It's this promise of God, this progressive revelation that's getting bigger. Here they're in the promised land, but it was name only. It wasn't good enough. And, and here Jesus is going to come, God in flesh. And now he's going to say, now we are his temple. We are his family. See, God so loved the world that he wanted to dwell with you and me. God so loved the world that he would send his own son in flesh, that not just name only, that we could wear his name, that we could become a part of his family. First John 3.1 articulates this reality and says it this, see what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And so we are, that is, that is what we are. The reason why the world doesn't know us is it didn't know him. Beloved, those in Christ, those by God's grace who have been in me saying, Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Beloved, we are God's children now. And it's not by name only. It's the reality that we are his, that he has shared us in his name, brought us into his family. I'll be home for Christmas. You can count on me. And God's saying, listen, I've come for Christmas. I've come and made Christmas so that you and I will forever dwell together. Not just a nominal dwelling, but a reality dwelling with Christ. The second thing is this, a conditional dwelling. In 1 Kings 9, uh, uh, 1 through 9, as we, we read, we see that there's, there's conditions around this dwelling, this temple. Anybody here a part of a homeowner's association, an HOA, that will tell you uh, what you can do and what you can't do? I've, I've already heard snickers. I've already heard, yeah. You know, I mean, you, what you can park in front of your house and maybe what you can and what you can fly or what you can do. And it, it's interesting. It seems like some HOAs are really, really restrictive. Um, they're not here in the service, so I'll, I'll, I'm going to talk about them. Don't tell them. But my folks, they live in one of those 55 and older communities, and maybe you do too. And a lot of those are really nice, but it feels like the Truman Show to me, you know? It, it just, it, it feels like, it's like this, 
plasticky place that everything seems manicured and, and they don't really want kids there. And if you're laughing too hard, you're going to get thrown out. Really, that's just not appropriate. Um, and, and there's like rules, like, I, you know, you got to bring uh, bads to the pool to swim and, and you got to make sure you're showing that at all. I mean, I, I know I'm exaggerating, but I think you know my point as far as some HOAs. I mean, some of them go a little crazy, wanted to make sure that every condition is met because they wanted to keep a certain decorum, right? I mean, they, they, they don't want just the riffraff moving in. I mean, they got to keep property values up. There's a standard here to live. Well, there's an HOA of sorts in the temple. It's God's place. It's God's unique dwelling. And, and he himself is going to set the rules. And, and they, they seem incredibly conditional. I mean, can I say the word iffy? It's iffy. God say, I'm going to dwell with you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to put my name there. I'm going to keep my ear open. My eyes are going to be there. And by the way, if, if you start to slide away, and if you pursue after false gods, and if you turn from me, then, then I am going to respond. And it's, it's, it's really interesting because not only is there this if you don't live up to it, then this iffy situation almost sounds like, well, you will. And it's going to mess up. I'm, I'm going to drive you out of my sight if you don't walk before me. Disaster is going to come. I mean, the HOA that God sets up for the temple is not so much like, hey, by the way, if you don't live up to it, you can't come in the temple. He's basically saying, if you don't live up to it, I'm going to destroy this place. And I'm going I'm to banish you. You're not going to be here. Like, whoa. I mean, the ifs, conditions of this. Well, well, here, you got to lean into this. Because all of us live our lives wondering, are we good enough? Is God going to welcome me home for Christmas? But Christmas is a celebration that Jesus came. Listen, Jesus came to fulfill all the conditions to make us able to dwell with God. That's why he came. He came to, to fulfill every requirement. Everything for holy God to still be holy God and still dwell with sinful man. Jesus came to meet the conditions, but he did more. He came to pay the fine for all the conditions we broke and everything we messed up. I mean, they nailed him to the cross and he became our sins. That's why we're so joyous over Christmas because it's not this conditional temple of if then. What we say is, if you do this, we're like guilty as charged. I mean, worse than you all know. I mean, yes, sinner, but Jesus, my savior was perfect. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the, behold the beautiful lamb of God, the Jesus, the, the sinless one, the one born of a woman who would come and do all that that you and I failed to do, to take away the condition so that we eternally can be with him. The beautiful thing about the Christmas story is that Jesus had to come so low. I mean, you couldn't come lower than a manger. You couldn't come lower to being born a pauper the way he was. I mean, Jesus was not in an ivory tower. I mean, Jesus was not uh, uh, somebody that was not accessible to sinners. I mean, it seems like the, the favorite title that he, he liked to have, the Gospels can't get over. It's a friend of sinners. It's somebody who hung out with broken people. It's somebody who, who identified himself with lost and, and smelly and, and wandering folks. I mean, this, this is Jesus. And this is the one who's accessible 
to all of mankind, that there's, there's no one who's been born who, who isn't able to find access by the grace of God to this Jesus because he came that low. But let me tell you something, this is Jesus who came that low, who lived that high. And who lived that, that perfect, spotless life. The one who was like us, tempted in every way, yet without sin. The one who, who came, he's the only obedient son. And so you have this incredible parallel, this incredible beauty of who Christ is. Accessible to the masses, accessible to the lowly, accessible to, to the sinners. And yet one who is perfectly holy that will fulfill all the HOA requirements for heaven and all the HOA requirements for a relationship with our great God. The reality is, is there's no more iffy and conditional dwelling. Jesus has met him. And then you have this last thing, paradoxical dwelling. In Hebrews 3, 10 through 13, I just love this, this picture uh, it's, it's there. All of them are shouting something and you couldn't tell what it is. Is it not true that we live in a world where we sing joy to the world? The Lord has come. And we still live in a world that weeps over the condition of our world. That's where we find ourselves right now. I mean, do you ever sing joy to the world thinking like you got to like cross your fingers or something? Like, can I really sing joy to the world? The Lord has come when my life is this broken. Can I really sing joy to the world? The Lord has come when, when my family's this messed up. Can I, can I really sing joy to the world when my finances have just crumbled or, or whatever experience of life you're going through? I mean, you, you can't turn on the TV or, or look at your, your phone without being reminded that there's weeping in the world. I mean, there's incredible, true sadness in our world. Yet God is with us. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And here's, here's the reality. The Lord has come, and we've looked at this, that each place that the Lord has come, he had to deal with man's sinfulness. Because holy God and sinful man can't dwell together. That's why there were a lot of HOA restrictions in the temple or the tabernacle. He's holy God. And he will forever be holy God. And Jesus has come to... to to deal with our sin and death problem. And there's joy. Your sin has been paid. Death, no more victory. But God hasn't yet done away with our sin and death problem. He's dealt with it, but he hasn't done away with it. It's still here. I mean, seriously, I mean, how, how many of us just even now just know the pain of an empty seat next to us? It's still here. How many of us are still just wrestling with darkness inside of us? Yes, joy in the world, the Lord has come. But we weep because we're still undone. Ezra 3, as this second temple foundation is being laid, and God is going to promise again to dwell with his people, and it never was quite the same. I, I like the fact that it tells us that all the people were shouting something. There was no one who was silent. All were shouting some were shouting, oh, yeah, this is great. Look at this day. And some were like, oh, this is awful. You couldn't even distinguish, it said. All it was was a really loud cry. And you couldn't tell, are these people excited? Or are these people really sad? 
Is this, is this a joyous occasion or is this, is this a mourning? And the answer is yes. Yes. It's joyous. It's mourning. Can you relate to that? Scripture says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit now. Peter will say in 1 Peter chapter 2 that, that we are living stones. That's a cool image. I want you to think that. That you think of a temple. That we're living stones, not some dead stones. We're living stones that have been that God is building together so that we could declare his praises, so that we can offer a, a sacrifice of our very lives. That we are living stones being built up as a spiritual house. And there's joy and there's weeping. Titus chapter 2 will tell us, it's just in, in verses 11 to 14, in those little passage of Titus 2, it says that we live in between two glorious appearings of God. That the first glorious appearing of God, this Advent season celebrates, that God would so love the world that he would send his only begotten son. That through him, if we believe we could have life and life abundantly, we could be brought into a fellowship with the Father. But we long for the second appearing, that we live in this now and not yet, this now that there's joy and not yet that the weeping's been done with. We live in this now that God is with us, but not yet. He's not fully with us. This now that God will never leave us, but I can't see him physically. I got to live by faith, not by sight. And because of that reality, there is joy to the world and there's weeping over my world. The story of the Bible is there's more to come. We're going to talk a little bit about that Christmas Eve. We're going to celebrate that reality on January 1st when we bring this uh, sermon series to a close. But let me, let me just remind you, beloved Orangewood, this is not it. This is not the best life now. This is the best life that we can have now in many ways because God is with us. But God has more for us. And we find ourselves in this paradoxical living that there is both great joy of being forgiven and loved and great sorrow and sadness that he hasn't put away forever sin and death. And so what do we still sing? We still sing, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. You have come once, come again and bring the fullness of this story to completion. Three questions as we close. Are you a name only Christian? I mean, this, this, uh, this temple, it was God's unique presence, but it was just kind of nominal. It was a name only they, really wasn't the real deal. Many people will say, yes, I'm Christian. Well, I'm not Jewish or I'm not Muslim. I was born in a Christian home. I mean, that somehow we relate because maybe we were baptized or maybe we joined a church once that we're Christian. It's very important for us to know that are we truly his children? Are we the place where God uniquely dwells? And how do we know that? Well, it's the grace of God that we've been in need of Jesus as Lord and Savior. That we said, hey, I, I, I'm in. I believe this story. He came for me. And my standing is in him. And that cross has made me free. And set me free. Are you a Christian in name only? The second thing is this. Are you trying to meet the conditions, the HOA of heaven? 
Are you trying to live your life trying to say, well, you know, if I'm good enough, if I'm moral enough, if, uh, if my good outweighs the bad, maybe at the end of the day, he'll, he'll have a lease with me to enter into glory forever. And that's, that's not how we are to live as Christians. We live as Christians responding to the fact that all the conditions are met. That's living joyfully. That's living freely. That Jesus was enough. And I know in my own life, I, I slipped to this performance treadmill over and over and over again. Just thinking that I got to earn it. I got to earn it. I got to keep it. I got to keep running. And the reality is, is he met all the conditions and he'll never let us go. And then lastly, is your song this Christmas a song of joy to the world or is it a weep over the world? And you know that that's okay either way. I mean, it tells us to make sure that we weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. But listen, we are family and you got to know that people sitting next to you, some are rejoicing and and many are weeping. We got to do it together. I think that's what the gospel allows us to do. It allows us to be real. It allows us to be loved. It allows us to say, this is where I am. And I know the reality that, that Christmas season is the worst season for many because it just spotlights all that's not. And let me point you to the one who is and promise you that in him, there's more to come. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that your story unfolds in such a beautiful way. And we see this temple, this unique place of your dwelling. And we celebrate the reality that, that God, that we now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And scripture says that at the end of the story, there will be no more temple because you forever will dwell with your people in paradise. And until that time, there will be shouts loud of joy and shouts loud of weeping. But God, I thank you at the end of the day that joy is going to win because Jesus is enough. That he has come for sinners like us. And because of the reality of his life, the reality of his atoning death, and the reality of his victorious resurrection, we truly, truly can have life and life abundantly, even now, knowing that we are your beloved children. God, may your Holy Spirit examine all of our hearts. Are we Christian in name only, or is this a reality? Are we living our lives trying to earn conditions that Jesus has already earned? And God, may we love those around us who are both singing joy to the world and weeping over the brokenness of their world. For your glory, we pray. Amen.